This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. It is just a pleasure for me to be here uh, with you to share uh, with you what the Office of Diversity and Outreach with the University of California at San Francisco is doing for diversity and outreach for anti-racism specifically and how we've responded to the call for change, how we're gonna foster institutional change following the tragic murder of George Floyd. With that introduction, my pronouns are she, her, hers, uh, and I need to, to say no more. I will start by really acknowledging um, the land that UCSF sits on. And we've come to this agreement with our Ramatushaloni uh, elders over the course of this last year. And we would like at this point to acknowledge the Ramatushaloni people who are the traditional custodians of this land. We pay our respects to the Ramatushaloni elders, past, present, and future, who called this place, the land that UCSF sits upon, their home. We are proud to continue their tradition of coming together and growing as a community. We thank the Ramatushaloni community for their stewardship and support, and we look forward to strengthening our ties as we continue our relationship of mutual respect and understanding. With that, um, for tonight's discussion, we're gonna talk about the history of diversity, equity, inclusion, as well as social justice at UCSF, a little bit about the Office of Diversity and Outreach, specifically some of our foundational concepts, which I'm sure for many of you will be very, very fundamental and foundational, and then talk more directly about our current anti-racism initiative. When we talk about the history of UCSF, we can't do so without talking about the history of the UCSF Black Caucus. The Black Caucus was formed in 1968, and at the celebration of their 50th uh, year, at the celebration of their 50th year, they produced this video, which I'd like us to all listen to now. If you are born non-white in this country, you are born to a life of sacrifice. Are you prepared to fight for non-whites in position of power and decision-making on this campus? The Black Caucus was the first group in the UC system to form and challenge administration to respond to certain kinds of demands. The Black Caucus was a very important vehicle uh, on this campus because of the prejudices and the racism that prevailed during that period of time. I don't think there was one person that would come to those caucus meetings that did not have a story to tell about racism and how they were being unfairly treated. UCSF was known as the plantation on the hill because of the way it treated its employees, primarily those in the custodial service. It takes an organization to move an organization. So why don't we organize? And that's pretty much the birth of the Black Caucus. The very first Black Caucus meeting we had was, uh, we had a big meeting in Cole Hall. And it's amazing how many people showed up. People in clerical positions showed up, people in janitor's position. And the first order of business was to issue this letter of demands. Some of the demands had to include increasing the staffing, but really our primary demand was to increase the number of students in the medical school. We had to get people of color in, into the system 
and then retain them. The idea was to create an environment that allowed uh, blacks to excel. And our work was cut out for us, and we took care of business. Our membership would tell us where the problems were. Investigation committee would go out and check that out. Basically, we were there to monitor uh, any discriminatory practices on the campus. And so we set goals for each department and for each school, and we included what we would be doing to ensure that these goals were met. The Black Bulletin reported what we were doing and what we needed to do. It was a vehicle to stay in touch with one another. People needed to know what was going on. And of course, we didn't have the technology we have today. We had mimeograph machines that left you covered with black ink, but we managed to get it out. We sort of thought of ourselves as a full-service <laughs> organization. We threatened to strike because a demand that we had asked for wasn't granted. All six elevators in Moffitt should come down to the basement because of the large numbers of people who work in the basement and they didn't believe we would strike, and we did. We just walked off our jobs and just came out and refused to go back to work until they did something about it. We marched around this campus to make sure that San Francisco and California knew and the world knew that we were not satisfied with things going on. If it wasn't for them, the janitors and the maids, we wouldn't have been able to pull it off because they were willing to put their jobs on the line. And the people were willing to do that. I mean, these are not employees who are making significant salaries. But when they struck, that was really critical because uh, administrators were pushing patients around because there were no patient escorts to move the patients from wherever, wherever. So it was, it was a significant event. We were pretty persuasive. We were not something that they could shut the door and forget about. There were more protections afforded to janitors, and there was more dignity that they were able to secure. It changed the culture of the campus. It's almost in the bricks and mortar now. The battle scars are all on the walls. <laughs> and as a result, this campus became the model for other universities. It is now renowned throughout the system as the leading campus in medical research, in student recruitment. We have more black students here than any other medical school in the system. This is UCSF, and these are the values in which we are operating. We have shown this world today that it can be done, that we can follow in the footsteps of Dr. Martin Luther King. So I knew as a medical student coming to UCSF that I owed a lot to the Black Caucus. It was their sacrifice of themselves, their advocacy, not only for their own rights, but so that individuals like me could have an opportunity to sit in those classrooms. And I had an opportunity to meet many of the people and work with them um, as a member of the Black Caucus over my many, many years uh, at UCSF. So their advocacy 
really led to some significant changes. In 2008, 2009, our students stood up and said, we need a, an executive director for the office of, for, and a formation of an office of diversity and outreach. They wrote letters to the dean, to the chancellor of the university. And in fact, it's because of their advocacy that this vice chancellor role was created. And I had the privilege of serving as the inaugural vice chancellor. In 2020, we celebrated 10 years of the office and in doing so created this diagram that really talks about the road that was taken from the Black Caucus, really the history of the advocacy and the change that it, it led to. Chancellor at the time, Phil Lee, created the first diversity committee. We went on to really fight for women's rights and creating first the Women's Resource Center and then the LGBT Resource Center, which was the first LGBT Resource Center of, of any kind and any health science professional school in the United States. We went on in 2007 to create the Leadership Forum on Diversity and Inclusion as a platform to build our consensus and to promote accountability across the campus and the health system. And moving forward, we have continued the students advocated for a multicultural resource center, which we were able to establish in 2012. And then the Black Lives Matter movement really spurred our students to move and create a White Coats for Black Lives campaign that was um, held across all the medical schools across the country, really. And they staged a die-in, which led us to change the way we were looking at these issues for our learners. We created a new program in the School of Medicine, the Differences Matter initiative, and went on to do many other things to encourage um, the progression of this work. It is a continuous equity improvement process that we're, we have embarked upon. And so we are continuing to do that work. UCSF has defined our values with the acronym of PRIDE. And PRIDE is our professionalism, respect, integrity, and diversity and excellence. And we further wanted to make sure that all communities recognize the fact that we're a center, a health center, a campus that really seeks to be welcoming to all races, religion, sexual orientations, genders, ethnicity, abilities. Um, and so that has been the basis of the Office of Diversity and Outreach. And those are the goals we seek to attain. And in order to do that, we've developed a mission. And our mission is to build. We want a broad, diverse faculty, student body, staff, and we want to have a, also a trainee community that is reflective of the diversity of the state and the country. We want to nurture culture. We want to make sure that people are here, but they're also welcome, supportive. They feel that sense of belonging. And then engage them, engage diverse ideas so that we are the best at providing culturally competent education, discovery, patient care, and community engagement. Our functional units for the Office of Diversity and Outreach include our accountability unit for our faculty, our staff, our equity advisors, and our leadership. We have our Center for Science and Educational Outreach that is engaged in our pathway and our pipeline programs with an over 20-year history, actually, of working with the San Francisco Unified School District, now Oakland Unified School District, and Antioch as well. Our Office for the Prevention of Harassment and Discrimination is our office that seeks to hold people accountable with our compliance functions. And then a, a series of resource centers, including the LGBT, the multicultural, more recently our care advocate, who is a specialist that's there for individuals who've experienced sexual harassment or sexual assault. 
and the most recent is our ADA, our Chief Accessibility and Inclusion Officer, to make sure that we are continuously working to be more uh, intentionally inclusive of all groups. We had a, the great fortune of having an opportunity to come together just very recently, uh, and this is the, a reflection of our staff from from the three people that we had, we're now close to 30 people and it's a, it's a beautiful team and we recognize that it takes a team. The Movement for Black Lives initiated in 2013, really by these three black women who, who really started to stand up and speak about the violence that was befalling uh, disproportionately African-American men in this country. And as I alluded to, the students of the UCSF School of Medicine and partnership with the other professional schools developed the White Coats for Black Lives. And we staged a die-in in front of the library uh, in December of 2014. And following that, we really spurred the development of a new initiative in the School of Medicine. The Differences Matter initiative was really born of that student activism and it identified six significant areas, diversity and leadership, our recruitment and retention and climate issues. What's the learning environment like? How are we really intentionally developing our pipeline and our outreach programs, the research action group for equity, and then clinical health equity being really an important cornerstone. This was a new kind of an initiative in that it partnered a dyad of faculty leaders with staff leaders in each one of these groups and really made some tangible improvements in the, uh, the School of Medicine's diversity efforts. So for our conversations about diversity, the University of California has really defined for us what diversity means. What are we talking about? And we're essentially talking about all of us. Our diversity refers to our personal experiences, our values, our worldviews, and it's all the things that make us ourselves, our race, ethnicity, gender, age, geographic region, and more. This was adopted by the UC Regents uh, back in 2010. So when I talk about diversity, I'm talking about a campus and a health system that is open to all, inclusive of all, and anyone who comes to our institution can be themselves and be a part and belong within the, the auspices of UCSF. And this is really important because we, we talk about what are the ways in which we advance initiatives around diversity. Certainly, it's the business case for diversity. We understand that, in fact, having diverse teams, we're going to outperform and be more cre creative and innovative. This has worked in our research arena with bringing researchers from across departmental divisional lines to really outperform their peers as it relates to our, our, our research. We also have a mission case. We have a mission at UCSF to relieve suffering, to advance health worldwide. And in order for us to achieve that mission, we really have to be working towards equity in health, research and education. And in order to do that effectively, we obviously need to have diversity. We talk about, well, what are the multiple identities? How do people show up um, in, in, in themselves? And we all have um, multiple ways in which we identify ourselves. And it's really the intersectionality of these various identities that show up as who we are. I'm female, I'm, I'm African-American, and that sometimes it's not clear whether I'm experiencing something as it re relates to gender um, 
marginalization or racial marginalization or perhaps a combination of the two. We also talk about this intersectionality using um, Kimberly Crenshaw when she talks about the interconnected nature of these social categorizations and such that these multiple forms of discrimination combine and often will actually double the negative impact they have on individuals and further marginalize them. When you look among uh, groups of Blacks, for example, you see that women in some cases are, are further marginalized because of the, the sexism that exists within and among groups and certainly classism and others. And so we really have to think comprehensively about how in fact these things show up. And this simplistic uh, cartoon of equity versus equality is one that we use in talking about, you know, we're providing everybody the same is not what we're trying to do. We're trying to give everybody what they need in order to be a part of our, our campus community, um, give people what they need so that they can thrive and be successful and contribute back. And that's where we are, it's equity, the state of quality of being just and partial and fair to individuals and acknowledging that there are often invisible structural and systemic barriers that impact marginalized and underrepresented communities. And then having an, an active inclusion so that environments and groups can feel welcome, respected and, re and supported so that they can fully participate. And then we talk about, you know, diversity is being asked to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance, which Verna Myers uh, identified. And we talk about belonging so you can dance as if no one is actually watching. One of the significant barriers we found uh, that exists at UCSF and really I've encountered it everywhere is the notion of implicit bias. It is these the attitudes or the stereotypes that people have that impact how they interact with groups, individuals and, and groups of individuals. And your implicit biases are a result of how you were raised and, and how you were acculturated. And in fact, if you take the implicit association test, you can identify where your biases are. And we know in this country that people prefer white over black, people prefer men over women, able body over disabled body, straight over gay. So these are the neurohectics that we have that really um, allow us to develop these implicit biases, determine how we interact with people and often come across to individuals as microaggressions when we are not intentionally, but sometimes um, based on our, our um, implicit bias, we inflict these unintentional casual degradations of individuals uh, based on their group identification. And while it is, I think, a misnomer of terms, a microaggression, they have a macro impact on individuals. And our, our learners and our faculty staff as well tell us that, you know, you're distracted by these aggressions and you can't even focus to do the, the studying that you need to do, to do the job that you need to do. And this is one of the really important areas that we are working on eliminating at UCSF. Moving forward with our anti-racism initiative, we were called again by the, led by members of our campus community. We were called to task that we have to stand up, we have to speak up and we have to do better. And this collective action was created the new imperative for us to move forward. It was uh, across the Benioff Children's Hospitals that people stood up and spoke up about Black Lives and the importance of Black Lives Matter initiatives, our medical center at Mission Bay, our students joined in the, uh, the marches. 
Fresno departments as well as in our cancer center. And we heard the call. They sent letters they, to the chancellor, to us, to the chancellor's executive leadership team. And we recognized in that moment that we were in the midst of the COVID pandemic and the, that I say two pandemics, the dual pandemics of the, the reckoning or the, the awareness of the systemic nature of the structural racism that exists and the perniciousness of it. And the fact that in fact, these long-term issues of police violence and anti-Black racism had just come to such a head that we had to address it. We had to do something. We have to not just see it, but we only have to act on it. And, and that propelled us forward. While at the same time, we were looking at the disproportionate impact of the COVID pandemic on African-American, on Latinx communities, and recognizing the persistence of these health and healthcare disparities as well. So we were called to, to really do things differently. We started thinking about how racism, the prejudice, discrimination, how it can be directed against a person or to people based on their membership of a particular group. And that the belief that different races you know, possess different characteristics or abilities, that is um, persistent, as I said, and very pernicious. And you know, we know that racism can be individual, so the interpersonal kinds of issues that come up, that there is a structural problems within the law, uh, within policies. And we know that in fact, there are structural issues that, that live within institutions. And so this is talking about the system by which racism is developed and maintained uh, and that it perpetuates the racial and other types of inequality within our country, education, police, criminal justice systems, our institutional practices, who's at the table, who's being represented, whose voices are being heard, and that the compound impact of many of these accumulated inequities can have such a significant uh, impact on individuals and on and communities. So we're really seeking to be an anti-racist institution. We uh, center the voices of Black people and other marginalized groups. We're not listening to the loudest voices necessarily or the majority of the voices. We want to hear those voices who often are not heard. And we want to use their experience, lived experiences and the working with them to really help to dismantle where these systems of racism uh, continue to exist. It's the strategic disruption of the status quo using a model that is akin to what physicians use in quality improvement, plan, do, check and act, a continuous equity improvement approach to the work that we're, being, that we're trying to do. And we don't underestimate the fact that this is a significant challenge. So back in uh, February, there was a, a podcast that was produced by the Journal of the American Medical Association. And in that, the deputy editor for clinical reviews and education, Dr. Ed Livingston said, no physician, he, this tweet went out, no physician is racist. So how can there be structural racism in healthcare? And, um, of course, this exploded, and he was interviewing uh, Dr. Mitch Katz, who was formerly the director of public health in San Francisco and a, a colleague that I've known well and worked with for many years. Uh, but this just is um, an example of the kinds of challenges we face when, in fact, people don't see the persistence of the structural racism and how it is so um, embedded within medicine. 
And we know that if we have now documented it, we have to intervene to really disrupt it. And this is talking about the science and the practice of being an active anti-racism institution. So how are we doing this work? We are very fortunate at UCSF to have as our presidential chair recipient this year, Dr. Kamara Jones. And Dr. Kamara Jones is the past president of the, of the American Public Health Association. And in that role, she launched the National Campaign Against Racism, which calls us to actually name racism and then ask ourselves, just how is racism operating here? And that's a good question for us to think about. What are the mechanisms of racism? You know, how do they exist in our structures, in our policies, in our practices, our norms and our values? What are the things we value? How are the policies structured? Are the policies implemented in a way that is fair, just and equitable? And that we need collective action in order to actually impact the perniciousness of racism within our institutions. And she gave our keynote uh, speech and she said that documentation without action is doing a Tuskegee experiment on racism, Tuskegee study on racism. So we cannot do that, we have to act. And her definition of racism, which we've adopted is really a system of structuring opportunity and assigning value based on the social interpretation of how one looks, which is what we call race, that unfairly disadvantages some individuals and communities. It unfairly advantages other individuals and communities. And it truly saps the strength of the whole society through the waste of human resources. Just imagine how much more we could accomplish if everyone had the opportunity to give at their highest level. That's a great definition and the one that we have adopted at UCSF. With that, we have defined seven pillars for our anti-racism initiative. And we want to achieve the following items. We wanna create a safe, healthy, and welcoming climate for all employees and learners. This was born out of the need to look at how are we policing and how are our security forces working at UCSF? We had issues of police profiling, of racial profiling for individuals entering our buildings. We have issues of inequitable calling of security in our patient care environments. And so we've created a workflow and a task force and we're changing the way we're utilizing policing and security forces on our campus. Addressing anti-racism knowledge gaps. We all have to continuously learn. There, um, there's a lot of knowledge gaps that exist within our current faculty, within our current staff and our leadership. And we're, we're pushing us to all ourselves to all really work hard. In addition, how do we close those gaps in the next generation of healthcare providers through our curriculum? How do we think about um, equity as a part of how we make decisions? There's evidence that if you diversify the selection committees, you're more likely to have diverse candidates being ranked and selected in positions. Demographic diversity and leadership through the utilization of our staff equity advisor program. Equity and patient care, expanding our commitment to the Bay Area as an anchor institution, as an institution that has great capacity, how are we actually enriching 
those underrepresented and marginalized communities within the Bay Area, and then achieving equity and anti-racism in our research endeavors as well. So when we talk about health and safety, we're talking about you know, our public safety officers. So we had issues with our security officers and their appearance uh, like police officers. So they've uh, changed their uniforms. They are now campus public safety ambassadors. They've been getting, uh, trained in customer service. They understand that they're, one of their jobs is to provide a welcoming environment. And so we're very, very pleased by this direction. In the medical center, they are uh, protective service officers. So that is progress that is being made in that particular goal. In our second um, goal, we talk about the anti-racism knowledge gaps. And one of the things we implemented was our mandatory DEI training for all members of our campus community and our health system. We implemented this training after about a two-year time period to really develop this training because it, I felt it was essential that we had a, a, a floor, that everybody had some standard language and understanding of what our aspirations are, what our commitment is to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So all members of the campus community are required to take this training. And today we've trained over 29,000 members of our, uh, of our community, and we will continue to do so. Every new member of our faculty, our staff, and our learners are required to take the training as well. So we are advancing anti-racism knowledge gaps. We're also doing so within our professional schools and within our graduate programs to ensure that in fact, we are training the next generation of healthcare providers and of scientists who have a greater understanding of how racism shows up within their sphere. And so each of our professional schools, as, along with the School of Medicine, our graduate division, are really working to forward their curriculum in these very significant uh, ways. We've talked about embedding equity as a part of a central uh, criterion decision-making. So these are our policies and practices. Who, what are the things that we value? And an example of this is that we have required that the committees, the composition of our committees be 50% female, and include underrepresented minorities. If it's a committee that is one in which there is a decision about finances or about promotion, merit evaluations, they have to meet these committee composition criteria. We also want to do policy reviews. We have started on policy reviews to determine whether or not policies on the face of them may appear race neutral, but in their implementation, they may in fact not be race neutral. And that has been the case in our policies for our patient, um, patient care, dis disrupted patient care. And when do people call security? And when do people resolve things without calling security? And in fact, we've, it's led to de retraining and a de-escalation process that happens at the patient's bedside. So utilizing these uh, ways in which we're just going through every aspect of, of life as a member of the UCSF faculty, staff, or learner committee to, community to understand how racism shows up. For our faculty, our faculty promotions process, we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. It is a requirement for our faculty when they are hired to, uh, to complete a statement about their planned contributions to DEI as a member of the UCSF faculty. So now within our promotions process, we've been successful in pushing for there to be mandatory statements 
of diversity for the faculty promotion process as well. We wanna align our traditional award reward system, the ways in which we measure success needs to be aligned with our stated goals and objectives. And so this has been a significant advancement that impacts UCSF, but is also impacting across the UC system where we're happy to see this move forward. Achieving demographic diversity in our leadership is critically important. When we look at the data at UCSF, we identified that UCSF was a very diverse institution from the staff's perspective. It's 47% Asian, roughly 47% white with, with African-Americans, Latinx, and Native Americans making up the rest. But when you start to disaggregate the data and look over um, management versus entry level, we find that in fact, at the manager level, greater than a level three, it starts to flip in that it's, it's more predominantly white uh, and there are more men than men are in the general population of our staff. So led by Dr. Rincon, um, is the Staff Equity Advisor pro Program. And it is a partnership with Human Resources and Jessica Dressler and the Human Resources. They've been able to recruit six um, senior staff members who they've trained and they will serve as search ambassadors. They really will be working as equity advisors, working with each of our search committees to support the hiring manager. How's the jobs description written? How are we searching? Where are we searching? Is the committee trained? Does the committee understand the impact of unconscious bias on their decision-making process? How is the process going? You can't move to interviewing until you've really did a great, done a great job in doing outreach to assure that you have a diverse pool of candidates that is reflective of the availability pool. And sometimes that means doing more intentional and direct and far-reaching outreach. And so the the staff equity advisors are there to be a part of that process. And this has been a, a tremendous step forward for our work in diversifying our, our senior management. In achieving equity in patient care, including our affiliates, um, fortunately, Dr. Dr. John was able to present to you on November 1st, talking about the work of our Health Equity Council and the disaggregation of all of our outcome data, looking specifically at disaggregating the data to assure that in fact, African-American, Latinx, Native American, and other marginalized communities having, are, are having access to full complement of care within the UC system and that we're not contributing to, contributing to the disparities that we see in, in, in patient care. We wanna further our commitment to the Bay Area and our centers um, for science and educational outreach. We're really working at expanding our educational opportunities. How do we assure that we are supporting the pipeline from the early, from K through 12, throughout college, into our graduate and professional school programs, but also opportunities that lead to workforce development through our anchor institution initiative, providing people with opportunities for these well-paying jobs that exist at UCSF. And then how do we spend our dollars? We procure over you know, millions of dollars of procurement occur every year. And where are we spending those dollars? Are we doing so in a responsible way that will uplift minority-owned, women-owned, small businesses here in the, in the Bay Area? And we're doing that with great intention now and holding ourselves accountable to that. As well, we are investing specifically directly into the community with investment dollars and opportunities to really 
um, share our, uh, our investment portfolio with members of the community. Structural changes are required um, as it relates to our research endeavors as well. UCSF is fortunate to lead the nation in NIH-sponsored research. We also should be leading the nation in research that addresses specifically how you know, we can be greater anti-racism, have greater anti-racism in our educational endeavors, in how we care for patients, and create new knowledge, create the research, be the national center and the leader for this work and disseminate that work, apply it to UCSF, but disseminate, disseminate that work. And we are uh, rapidly moving towards the implementation of these uh, goals as well. In order for us to have success, we really need a collective action uh, of, the, of the work. It really requires that there be all of us working together in order to affect this change. There's over 35,000 people at UCSF and our collective action is needed because of the severe and pernicious nature of systemic racism and how it shows up in our systems. We need people on board in order to do this work. We're taking a continuous equity and improvement approach to the work and that the accountability again has to be, at, be throughout the enterprise, campus, the health system, our demographics should be reflective of the state of California. And in some instances, when we do national searches for our leadership positions, our chairs, reflective of our nation and that all groups have in, in inclusion and belonging. We need to have outstanding graduates who understand anti-racism and health and science and they act to dismantle it. This is how we're gonna know we're successful. And then we need to be, as I said, advancing the research and the scholarship in anti-racism. We need to be number one in, in leading the nation in this area. We have to measure what we're doing to impact communities positively. Are we uplifting communities where we, where we live here in San Francisco? What is that impact on our communities? So with that, that is the UCSF anti-racism initiative. And that's the work that that we're doing and that we hope to partner with our community partners, with our alumni, um, with all of you, if you're interested in partnering with us to advance this work um, at UCSF. So thank you very much. Excellent, uh, Dr. Navarro. Thank you for that wonderful presentation and overview of the anti-racism effort at UCSF and some of the historical uh, moments that have led us to this point. So I'm gonna read the first question the Q&A and invite our guests uh, to put in more questions. I, we also have some other questions that have come through other mediums. And so I'm gonna start with the first one on the Q&A. When will the faculty diversity statement for faculty promotion be applied to the manager three level and above? And what about for all UCSF managers? Well, thank you for that question. So the faculty diver diversity statements for faculty promotions are currently in place. And so the faculty committee that assesses the promotions process are utilizing those faculty contributions to diversity statements now. For the staff side of our organization, we've just introduced the contributions to diversity statements as part of the staff recruitment process that Dr. Rincon leads, uh, and that is going to the manager threes and above. There has been talk and we are thinking about as we've started this pilot to think about how do we operationalize rolling that out more broadly to the general campus, recognizing that 
in fact, is a, is a critically important. So we'll be looking at the outcome of the data that um, is produced by our work and determine what's the best way to roll it out to the full campus uh, and health system communities. Thank you. All right, well, more questions come in. Um, I have a question here. Um, what are some of the challenges that are beyond your reach and that of the office? And I'm, I'm thinking specifically, if you could spend a little bit of time talking about Proposition 209 uh, and the impact of that here um, at UCSF. Sure. Thank you for that question. I mean, so the state of California um, voted Proposition 209, which is to say that we cannot use, you know, gender, race, ethnicity when actually making decisions about um, who we um, admit to our programs, um, who we hire, et cetera. And that, I think, had a chilling effect on particularly our student admissions process that was outsized rather than um, it was more chilling than it should have been or necessarily needed to be. Because in fact, um, it doesn't say that you can't value diversity, that you can't um, seek specifically and do directed outreach to those areas where you have underrepresentation. It doesn't prohibit you from valuing contributions to diversity from people of any race or ethnicity. So in fact, we found that, um, that the intent, I think, was to limit access to uh, our professional programs um, by this act, we have learned that in fact, we, we're working around it to the extent possible. We were hopeful when it came up on the ballot again this year that there would be an opportunity in the face of the racial reckoning that was happening across the nation that California would see that this was um, limiting us, but in fact, that wasn't the case. And so it is the law of the state and we have you know, learned to work with the law. The numbers of our students in our School of Medicine dropped precipitously after Proposition 209 from groups, African-American, Latinx groups. And those numbers have returned with our intentional outreach, our, our building programs that are attractive to people from groups that are underrepresented in minority groups. So that has, has helped us um, significantly. The Office of the President the University of California is a partner. And while we have limitations, we also have great opportunities. And we can leverage those opportunities across the UC system. We are a huge system of some great institutions. We now have 20 health science programs across these institutions. And uh, they convened a group that I had the pleasure of chairing and produced a report disrupting the status quo that allows us to start thinking collectively about how do we support students the undergraduate students from one UC campus, you know, being the graduate and professional students at the other campus and building and nurturing that pipeline to our professorate. And some of those things are in place. And I, I, I suspect over the next several years, we're going to escalate that work and, and really be able to leverage the value of the UC system, really to serve the state of California. Because when we look at the state, you know, the needs for there to be diversification of our health science workforce, of our physician workforce, is, is great. We need more physicians in the Central Valley, et cetera. So in fact, um, yeah, we wanna see that grow and leverage that work. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, when I go back to the Q&A, uh, what role does your office play in improving vendor diversity? So we um, are working with the, the, um, our vendor resource group, our procurement uh, group, to uh, help them or to push them actually, to help push them to identify uh, minority and, and women's owned businesses. And we've actually been very successful. We've had some success in getting them to expand 
getting them to do some direct outreach, working with the um, the groups, um, the Black Chamber of Commerce, the, the Chicano, Chicano Latinx Chambers of Commerce, so that we can uh, make sure that our minority-owned businesses can uh, meet the criteria for being listed in our procurement and our bear buy system. So our group is now doing some outreach specifically and doing some education and training to improve the capacity of some of these smaller and minority owned businesses to be able to work specifically with UCSF. So we're excited about where this is going. And then each, each director and each leader is responsible for how they spend their resources. And so, you know, as I spend our small, relatively small budget, we look to try to find minority-owned, women-owned businesses to engage in uh, some of the activities that we do out of the Office of Diversity and Outreach. And each group is asked to do that specifically. And we record it and we have to actually, um, becomes a part of our, our, our reporting on an annual basis now. Thank you again for that. So I, I feel, you know, we're obviously quite aware of this, but it's brought in scope. And so I, I wanna go back, you talked about the student advocacy, you've talked about uh, the advocacy uh, from the Black Caucus, um, and certainly some of the advocacy you've talked about relates to cases of police brutality, um, you know, sadly in 2014, and then again, obviously last year. So what is the ongoing relationship with students and what is their feedback on the efforts of your office and of the efforts of the anti-racism initiative? Thank you for that question. Our students are critically important and, you know, uh, our students, um, you know, we should step aside and let them lead us in many ways because they're so much um, more enlightened and they're impatient with the pace of change. And as we engage with the students and listen to the students and learn from the students, you know, we're just trying to make the changes um, as, as quickly, but in a sustained way as possible. And so they're helping us define what our prioritizations are as we think about the the vast array of things that need to be changed. I mean, from issues within the curriculum to our security and policing, you know, to the fact that the demographics of our faculty are not reflective of the demographics of our student body or of the state of California. And so we're working on all of those fronts and they're, you know, helping to really push us and hold us accountable for really doing what we say we're going to do. We have an open door. We want to get feedback and engage the students, but we also recognize that we don't want to burden the students. And we tell the students, you're a professional student or a graduate student. Your job here is to be a fantastic physician or a fantastic, you know, doctorate of bi you know, biology or whatever your specialty area is, and, and that we should do the work. And so we talk about that minority tax and that our expectations is not for our, our students to come in here and do the work and, and guide the, you know, guide the university. But we want to partner with them. We want to understand from them what the prioritizations are. And then we'll implement the ways in which to actually do the work and, and get the job done. But they hold us accountable. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. We have more questions on the QA. I'm gonna go with one around um, I think it's from my UCSF employee. So thank you for submitting that. And then I'm gonna switch to patient care. So first question, I feel like I work in a different UCSF than what I'm hearing here. I keep asking the same question every meeting that I attend regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion. What systems are in place at UCSF to hold colleagues accountable who display racism, bias, microaggressions? I've never received an answer. So thank you for whomever submitted that. Yeah, I thank you so much. And, I, and I'm sorry that that's your experience of being a, a member of the UCSF campus. 
we recognized, I mean, I recognized when I first started doing this work that as much as I talk about what we're doing up here and what our goals are, those are aspirational goals. And what I recognize is that your day-to-day is what's happening in your local environment and in your local community, like your work community. And that we needed a strategy that is a top-down strategy, but we also needed people on the ground really working to make sure that that you're experiencing what we say you should be experiencing. So we have tried to develop um, you know, first with education and training and engaging people so they understand their biases so that members that I'm sorry, managers have a, a knowledge base. And now we're introducing competencies, specific competencies that we're going to hold our managers to so that they um, have the capacity to really engage in issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, and then hold themselves and their teams accountable for what's happening there. And then we have the Office for the Prevention of Harassment and Discrimination. Nobody should be in a situation where they're experiencing harassment, discrimination, repeated microaggressions. File a complaint with the Office for the Prevention of Harassment and Discrimination, and we will send someone to do an investigation of these issues. And we have seen a large increase in the uh, complaints that have come in related to harassment and discrimination at UCSF. And I think because, and what we find is many of these things have been happening for long periods of time and people are finally speaking up about them. So I encourage you to speak up about them, file a complaint, send something to the diversityoutreach at ucsf.edu. You can send it to our website, to our email address, to the OPHD, um, we hope to affect a change there and hold people accountable um, for not having the right climate. Thank you, Renee. Um, I'm gonna move now to patient care uh, with a couple of questions. The first one, I'm excited by the vision that all patients across the UCSF system will have access to the full complement of services regardless of race. Will this pillar realistically address the disparities that currently exist across UCSF sites? UCSF Parnassus, Mission Bay versus the General and Children's Hospital in Oak. Right. So we are certainly seeking to address this at all UCSF sites and our affiliates like ZSFGH is an affiliate organ, you know, affiliate institution while we are the the physicians and many of the other um, staff that are working there. That's a city and county facility. And we have a health equity council that exists there, as well as the health equity council that exists on Parnassus and in the children's hospital as well. So our goal, yes, is to assure that, in fact, our efforts to provide and support patients across the spectrum exists wherever UCSF physicians and uh, other healthcare providers are providing care. And that's what we want to hold ourselves accountable to. Our health equity councils are fairly um, new. They've come over the last two years, as Dr. Malcolm John um, discussed in his presentation. And we are looking and measuring um, outcomes, disaggregated outcomes for patients. And we will be doing the same and tracking the same that comes from all of our uh, institutions as well as our affiliate institutions. Great. And then um, again, along the lines with patient care, is UCSF going to make more effort to go to patients of color instead of having them come to UCSF? It is so hard for so many people. Um, can you provide transportation for patients patients to get to UCSF? It will be great to see more people of color at Mission Bay and Parnassus. So um, are we going to be making an effort to 
provide transportation for patients? That I don't know. And I haven't seen any initiative. I know we have a homebound service um, that does go out, but that's typically directed towards seniors um, to provide some home health care services for individuals. And I have seen in some cases there are vouchers, et cetera, that are provided for people who need uh, transportation via a, a Lyft-like service. There's some of that on a limited scope, but that is a great question. And I would have to um, actually find out more about, about that. And we too would love to see a greater diversification of our patient population uh, on our Mission Bay campus, on our Parnassus campus. Um, we seek to treat all patients in San Francisco and beyond because we're, a, you know, we're a quaternary referral and we get patients from across the state, certainly, and sometimes across the nation. Thank you. Uh, this question is uh, now back uh, to UCSF um, staff and employees. Considering the critical role that HR plays in making UCSF a more diverse and inclusive employer, how can we measure diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as cultural competency among HR professionals? That is a great question, and I thank you for that question. And, you know, one of the critical partners, obviously, in this work is human resources. And I've been working great, a great deal with the director, Corey Jackson, along with Nancy Duranto, who runs our learning and management as we think about some of the belonging index. And, and one of the, the ways in which we're trying to hold people accountable is to, to, to do the, um, the required competencies, starting at our manager level to to have the managers have to do these required competencies and then have the performance evaluation really reflective of whether or not they've accomplished their, their, the competencies in these various areas. And we've, we've talked about turning the model around and we're going to be probably piloting in some limited ways um, where in fact the employee, your staff get to evaluate you as a, as a manager. I mean, the managers do performance evaluations on the staff but we want the staff to be able to reflect on the manager's leaders, leadership style, the manager's ability to create a culture and climate of inclusion. So we will start to pilot that and you'll hear more about that. But we want accountability across the organization. And um, we have had great partnerships with Jessica Dressler and the, the recruiters, and we've done unconscious bias training for our recruiters so that we can really at the front end, make sure we're bringing in diverse pools of candidates for all of these positions that are available. And we've also done unconscious bias training for our labor employee relations people so that if there are challenges that, that as they're looking at what the issues are, that they're, they have an understanding that unconscious bias might be part of what's happening in some of these uh, interactions so that they have that awareness and can be attuned to that as well. There is a last question here um, uh, from one of our colleagues at the University of, um, University of Relations, um, Stephanie Brown. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, so much great work coming out of the OVO seems like we're moving even more into creating actionable vehicles for change. With that being said, can you speak to the feelings of retaliation towards those who speak up about inequities and racism in their departments? We don't seem to have protections for staff in this space, and as we're empowering staff to use their voices, I struggle with the repercussions that might come their way. Is there a no retaliation policy at UCSF? Yes, hi, thank you so much for that question, Stephanie, and your comments. There is absolutely a no retaliation policy. So it is a violation of policy to retaliate against an individual who speaks out about issues of harassment and discrimination, 
or participates in an investigation related to harassment and discrimination. And in fact, a large number of our investigations are for those who have experienced retaliation for being you know, a partner or being an ally and speaking up. We want people to, to be comfortable and safe in speaking out and speaking up. Um, we, you know, our goal is to not call people out, but call people in, you know, call people in so that individuals are not threatened by progress or not threatened by equity that, you know, are seeking equity for Blacks, for Latinx people, for LGBT people across the spectrum of people who are underrepresented and or marginalized. It's a call for equity. And we want everybody to participate in that. It's not a diminution of who you are as an individual. It's just saying, hey, let's be a part of actually making it better. And what we will get on the other end of that, if we can achieve this, is that we're going to be a better place. It'll be a better institution and we'll be more successful in doing the critical things that we do. We educate the next generation. We advance knowledge and disseminate that knowledge. We care for our patients in the best way possible. And we engage with our community. And in order for us to do those mission areas successfully, we really need to harness the power that having a diverse, equitable, and just environment can provide to all of us. So thank you. Thank you, Renee, for that. Um, all right, I think uh, just one question that popped in the Q&A. Um, just a comment from an anonymous attendee. Thank you. Um, ongoing plan, or I guess, what is the ongoing plan to partner with grassroots organizations? to get true, authentic guidance on how to serve and build our communities? That's a great question. And we have, um, you know, we have our community, our Center for Community Engagement led by Wiley Liu and, um, and, and, our, and our community partners are critical to helping us see past ourselves and understand people at the grassroots who've been doing this work and are expert in this work can really help to guide us. We have created a partnership with Glide. Many of us did a a sojourn to Alabama uh, with members of the Glide um, community to actually understand better the roots of how racism, anti-Black racism particularly shows up in this country and, it, and persists to this day. And so they are partnering with us in a number of these initiatives and helping to, to guide us as we work through some of these issues. But yes, we definitely need to learn from grassroots, from community organizations. We hope to, to partner more uh, with them so that we can uh, guide um, our work through what they have as their skills and expertise. We don't know it all for sure. Great. Um, with that, um, I am going to end right there to thank you uh, for your presentation and your guidance and your work to thank uh, everyone who's joined us today, to thank our prior speakers, and certainly to thank the School of Medicine and the UCSF Mini Medical School OSHA for inviting us to be part of this. Thank you so much to everyone for joining us and for having joined uh, this wonderful uh, six-week course. Thank you. Thank Dr. you so Mara. much, Dr. Rincon. Thank all of you for being a part of our community with this. We appreciate you. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.